Hello, hello, and welcome to episode, what is it, 33, 34, something like that, of Coffee with Kush. Today we are talking about startup marketing versus branding, uh, and again, we are live on Twitter Spaces. Hello, Wahaj, how are you? Hi, Aziz, I'm good, how are you? Really happy to be discussing this for, it's 34 on the whole Kush um, podcast, but it's number three with startups. How does that feel? Why are we doing three episodes about startups? I think we could probably do 300, to be honest. <laughs> um, so uh, I think um, this week we're going to do it a bit different, though, right? Yes. So um, just let me introduce Aziz for those who don't know or or, or might be listening for the first time. Um, uh, this is Waj from Kush Digital, and with me is Aziz. He's the founder of Kush, a former PLC CEO, and he's passionate about um, empowering youth entrepreneurship. Uh, but today, before we start talking about entrepreneurship and startups, we want to um, maybe some gossip about some news uh, in the digital marketing arena. Um, so let's dive in. I mean, I've heard that WhatsApp channels uh, are now on Android. They were only on iPhones. They are now on Android. Um, Tell me about that and how that's going to change the digital marketing uh, since WhatsApp joined that, especially that Telegram has been doing the same since it started. Yeah, I think that that's basically the play, right? So um, Telegram have been doing channels since Telegram existed, basically. been very successful, uh, obviously. And WhatsApp want to get involved in that. They started, it, it rolled out in beta on the iOS only. And then last week was out on Android as well. Um, I don't like it as a user experience. I think that it's a bit, it's like, it feels like it's just been shoved into the user experience rather than um, made a core part of the UX like it is within, within Telegram. Uh, There's just such a weird trend of, of, particularly meta, just like constantly chasing behind the rest of the platforms. Like this is um, also reels for IG have been made longer this week. And it's basically, it's almost a direct attempt to target TikTok and and particularly YouTube shorts, which have got like longer periods for, for, for their equivalent of reels. And um, I don't know, like, I often think that if you're building a product and you're just basically chasing the competitor set, then you're not really building a product. All you're really doing is building an amalgamation of everyone else's product as opposed to building a product for yourself. So I'm never really a fan of these things, but I don't know. Have you used channels? What do you think? I don't like... Uh, the reason I don't like channels is because you cannot engage with it as much as you can with, like, the normal chatting thing. But... Like you said, it feels like it, WhatsApp's just now following Telegram, and I've seen threads and with Meta, uh, with the with the you know the the videos being longer. Yeah, it looks like there's a trail of it, like a trail of uh, keeping up with things that have been present for a long time. Um, I don't think that people on WhatsApp because people use WhatsApp a lot. I use it a lot, and it's uh, a lot of people use it for personal. Um, communication and stuff like that. It would be really annoying to start seeing uh, maybe um, channels where they are promoting stuff, unless um, payments through WhatsApp were introduced, like WeChat. Do you know WeChat, the, the Chinese app? Yeah. So on WeChat, you can chat with someone. You can have a channel and you can like talk to them. Uh, if you want to sell something or just transfer money or you can do it within the same chat um, it's like connected to your bank accounts and stuff so it makes it makes life easier in that way but if it's just um, it's just a copy and paste from Telegram I, I don't really know what is the value exactly or like what um, um, if, if people on WhatsApp will be like oh I can't put file over here you know I can use channels on WhatsApp but do you think WhatsApp will ever have that that thing that money thing payments just through WhatsApp? Maybe I know that that's the direction that Twitter are going in. Uh, when you were in China, like how do people use WeChat versus people 
in the rest of the world using WhatsApp? Like, what are the main differences? Well, I assume you used WeChat whilst you're over there. Well, yes, I did. They use WeChat for everything. So WeChat has channels like that you have on, you know, TikTok. When TikTok appeared, it was very new and people were were enjoying it. It has something similar to that on WeChat. So um, you will see stories of people on WeChat. You will see uh, their content. You'll see um, videos, short videos, dancing videos, all those kind of content. Uh, but at the same time, you have channels but or groups where you can sell new products. Uh, it's either from people that you know or it's like uh, major companies in China have the, uh, these groups and channels where you can shop directly within the chat. Um, and of course, uh, people use it to manage everything. I mean, our university used it to manage students and, and to, to talk to each other, to to shop for maps for everything and it also has the the property of you know unlimited file um size not like whatsapp so like wechat is like way ahead of a lot of the, the posts a lot of the apps that are uh that i've been using outside of china but it's limited to china because it's very very difficult to have an account on wechat you have to have people who are um your friends uh, should be there for at least six months. They should authenticate your uh, your account and, and, and a lot of processes just to ensure that you're a real person. Uh, and one of the reasons is because of the payments. It's your account uh, is connected to your bank account. So you can, you know, make purchases and you can shop uh, on WeChat. So basically they do everything on WeChat. I think that like the direction that China is going in integrating these consumer techs with financial instruments is like really worrying you know when i start reading i was reading recently about an article where you know the the you ever come across like the implementation of digital currencies in china and social credit scores yes yes so i think that's like a really dangerous precedent right so essentially what can happen now um is that uh based on your social credit score so your social credit score is based on how you interact online uh, the kinds of things that you say the kinds of things that you interact with and based on that um the 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 chinese government can essentially limit your purchasing power so they can they can limit for example if you wanted to buy an airline ticket to new york if you've got a low social credit score they could stop that i think that's like a really dangerous precedent because essentially it's it's um population control but in a in a digital fashion uh, so i think for, for the longest time, we've been speaking about like digital inclusion, particularly in Africa, talking about digital inclusion. And I think probably over the next 10 years, we're going to start talking about digital exclusion through social credit scores and, and managing of finances um, and limiting people's spending power based on their online behavior. So if you're not a good citizen, you can't buy stuff. That That's, that's really draconian. That doesn't feel right to me. It's It's been... It might not be weird. I don't want to get into politics, but it might. It's not that weird for China to be that maybe invasive when it comes to those kind of policies. Um, but for for a person who grew up in Africa, those practices seem so far that it's just I cannot even um, perceive the the kind of restriction that that people in China will be feeling because I, I, I've been experiencing the exact opposite of that. Um, yeah, but but moving on from the from WhatsApp, uh, China is an experiment of itself when it comes to the digital world. They have their own universe. You can it's it's a it's a very um, it's a very restricted world where like everything going inside is so different from everything outside. Um, there are things that are interesting, and other things are a bit like you said, obscure and and and, and very limiting. But it's it's part of China. What about what about um, other apps? Uh, I haven't seen Messenger Lite for a very long time, and uh, it was about a month months ago when my mother wanted to download it on uh, yeah download it on phone, and I was like, why are you using it? And it wasn't anything intentional. It was like it's just useless right now. Um, it it can't do anything. Um, and then I removed it and downloaded the normal Facebook uh, app. Um, so is that is that a thing? Is it actually dead? Is it alive? 
yeah, Meta, Meta have, have killed Messenger Lite. So Messenger Lite was essentially for um, low bandwidth countries. It allows you to use Messenger off, uh, off a very low bandwidth. And yeah, they've killed it. So again, I think like as um, internet speeds around the world grow, these sort of light versions of, uh, so there was also a Facebook light version as well. Um, these will start to die away. I think one of the things that people often neglect in the product management world is um, killing products. So building products, everyone tends to focus on that, but every product has a life cycle and every product reaches the end of its usable usable state. And there is an art to killing products and an art to timing of killing products. And um, and Facebook seem to be doing that uh, with Messenger Lite. And they've also they've closed like... Um, 9,000 jobs in the last few days. So, I mean, obviously, Facebook employs more than 100,000 people, I believe, uh, around the world. But 9,000 is still, like, not an insignificant number of people. And we saw, like, a big trend in um, in getting rid of jobs within big tech firms last year, uh, the end of last year. And uh, it looks like that's going to continue. And you know, I don't think that there's any coincidence that the proliferation of AI uh, is going to go hand in hand with job losses across the tech sector. Do you think that's the reason those jobs are being lost that rapidly in the, in the tech world right now because of AI exclusively, or do you think something else is happening um, in the background that we don't know about? Typically, if a company starts to to lose jobs at this rate. Um, you know, historically, you're looking at there's an issue with the company, right? So you'd be looking at the financials and you'd be looking to see if growth has stagnated or if they've started to go into the red in terms of their profitability and things like that. None of these things are happening. So that means that means there must be some sort of uh, extraneous force that is driving these job losses. And the only obvious extraneous force is is AI. And, you know, what we see of AI, you know, when you open your TikTok and you see these AI tools or you use ChatGPT or you use Bard or whatever, um, what we see is probably 1% of what AI is actually doing behind the scenes. I think that inside Meta, inside Microsoft, inside Google, um, I think AI is playing a much, much, much bigger role than we are aware of. And I think that that role will increase. And one, one of the things that we know is that trained well good um, language-based AIs can code incredibly efficiently uh, to a really, really high standard. And yeah, I just think like the traditional role of coders, the traditional role of developers will change fundamentally, just like we've seen in marketing, you know, the traditional role of a digital marketer has has changed massively. And as, as is the traditional role of a designer, although some designers are still catching up with that but i think that um i think that yeah it, it seems to me pretty obvious that the main reason for that is the proliferation of ai um it, it, it's it's kind of it's impressive but it's also um, kind of a bit sad that um so a developer a developer loses their job completely because because AI is advancing. Um, I do not see for that specific kind of uh, job. How can uh, how can they compete with AI or use it to their advantage? Um, I haven't seen much in that arena as well. Uh, I've seen marketing being leveraged with AI. I've seen, uh, like you said, the digital marketing role in general being leveraged by AI, but not one hundred percent replaced because it allows you to do more. Uh, compared to before. Um, but it looks like this specific there are specific roles that seems that AI is just exceeding. Um, and within that arena as well, so many businesses, so many new businesses are are, are being born. Um, we had one podcast about that before, about, you know, um, it, it, the startup of um, it, that allows people to, to kind of um, use and optimize AI for their own companies. Um, so diving into those companies, I think that we should mainly start talking about, you know, the, the marketing branding when it comes to um, with startups and stuff. Um, and uh, and how that affects the brand and how, how it affects the whole uh, company. So Facebook is 
would you consider first of all would you consider facebook a brand yeah i think so i mean you know however hard they try and uh rebrand themselves say with google and alphabet facebook and meta but ultimately yeah facebook is in and of itself a brand Yeah, and talking about that, um, so when you have a brand like Facebook that is facing so many um, challenges, that is just uh, creating so many changes, that is catching up to some apps and trying to be the first in other arenas, um, we want to talk about uh, that aspect. What it, I read what? <laughs> Sorry, I had to stop talking because you joined. <laughs> Let me add you as a speaker. Thank you so much for being here, Redwan. Um, we have been discussing some uh, tech news. We haven't started uh, on the marketing versus branding yet. Um, I'd like to say hi. Go ahead. Uh, continue to, to speak, Waj. Uh, good morning to you and good morning to you, uh, Aziz from Texas. Yeah, good morning to you. It's 8 p.m. in Aswan. We're happy to have a lovely evening with our listeners. If anyone will be joining soon, um, yeah, you can uh, ask any questions at any moment during the podcast. And we're talking about uh, marketing versus branding. And the reason that it's versus not marketing and branding is because we have seen, noticed that there is some confusion uh, with the two uh, terms. And so I'm going to start with branding first, and then we're going to go to marketing. And I have a very specific case that I want to discuss with you, Aziz. And so, John, uh, what is branding as a definition and what is marketing? Sure. So, like, branding is, well, let's start with marketing because it's easier. So, marketing is essentially the activity of setting the organization's strategy to attract, retain, and grow a business. So, attract customers, retain customers grow a business. So it's really all-encompassing. It includes how you price your product, how you build your product. Um, it includes how you promote your product. Uh, it includes people's perceptions of your product. It includes sh um, elements of shipping and customer experience. So marketing is a really all-encompassing function, whereas branding is really, really specific. And it, whilst it's difficult to sort of pin down what exactly branding is, because there are so many elements to it, essentially, Branding is the feeling that you feel when you when you are faced with a specific company. So as you engage with a company, it is the feeling that is created. And that feeling is a, an amalgamation of lots of different elements. It's an amalgamation of, um, obviously, the, the, the logo, the brand experience, the customer experience. There are lots of little things. Like, we've got a new client, Pitch, and even in Pitch, the language of the business is part of their branding so what is a pitch um what are flocks you know what are um uh, golden pigeons things like that so there are lots of different elements to branding but essentially the culmination of all of those elements is the feeling that you feel towards a company i do have a question if you if you allow me yeah of course always yeah, thank you aziz could politicians, just like companies and organizations and also, let's say, entrepreneurs, use branding slash marketing for their cause or political cause? Well, 100%. But let's test that. Let's test whether that is actually a case or not. Okay? So I'm going to give you the name of a politician and what I want you to do is objectively, I don't care if you're Democrat, Republican, or anything else, I want you to objectively tell me how you view that politician, okay? So it'll be obviously someone that we we, we both know. So what is your view of Donald Trump? Business. And of course, that is what he's done, right? He's He has positioned himself as the deal maker, yeah? So whenever you even listen to the language, like he did it, I saw a, um, a post of his, yes, no, this morning, actually, when he was talking about, you know, the live debate, which he chose not to go to versus his interview with Tucker Carlson. And he starts his interview by talking about, um, by talking about the numbers, by talking about that 11 million people 
viewed the debate versus 216 million people that viewed his interview. And, and so right off the bat, he's not even talking about issues. He's not talking about what's going on in Ukraine. He's not talking about, um, he's not talking about the deficit. He's not talking about uh, what's going on in Sudan. He jumped straight into my numbers are better than everybody else's. And so, but that's the position that he's created, right? That's the brand that he's created around himself. So I'm going to, if I'm going to choose uh, uh, another politician, I'm going to stay away from Sudanese politicians because we don't want it to turn uh, nasty. So if I was to say um, Hillary Clinton, what do we, what do you believe uh, is the brand that Hillary, Hillary Clinton has put forward? Strong, loyal, and at the same time, <laughs> very uh, maybe I don't know driven dedicated I think that's totally fair right so she has put to put forward a brand which is based on stability experience strength knowledge uh, consistency like she is extremely consistent in her messages and the things that she does now, if you want to know whether brands are um, successful or otherwise, sorry, politicians are successful or otherwise at creating their brand, you only need to look to see if there is a counter argument to that brand, right? So let's take Hillary Clinton as an example. So all of those elements, they're the things that she's positioned herself as strong, loyal, trustworthy, uh, 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 experienced, okay? Now, when people attack Hillary Clinton, they attack at the core of her brand. They talk about the email database. They talk about the deals that she'd done. Uh, they don't talk necessarily about the things that she did at, uh, at um, in New York or or uh, a Secretary of State. And so you know when you've made it as a politician when you're being attacked for your core brand values. So the short answer to your question is, absolutely. Politicians absolutely have to create a brand around themselves. Some are incredibly successful at it. And you know, I think that one of the most successful at creating a brand around himself was the was George Bush, George Bush Jr. You know, George Bush Jr. positioned himself as the everyman, positioned himself as the beer drinking uh, everyman. He didn't talk using long words. He didn't um, he didn't hobnob with with people uh, in in high society. He was the cowboy from Texas, who was basically the everyman that everyone could relate to. And he was really, really, really good at that. Yeah, that was like an ex an exceptional form of branding. So the short answer is yes, absolutely. I think that a lot of the times when we look closer to home, like uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of people in our own uh, country in Sudan, people in the political sphere have really failed at that element. They have... Um, they've really failed to differentiate themselves individually. Uh, or what's worse than that is that they've set them up, themselves up as activist politicians. And that's such a weak position, right? So as a brand position, if your brand position, let's assume that this person isn't a person, it's a company. If your brand position is that I am against this, whatever this is, I am against this, yeah? If that's your brand position, it's only as strong as the existence of the thing that you're against. The moment the thing that you're against disappears, your brand proposition dies entirely. And I think that that like activist, that activism approach um, has has always been a, like a real concern for me in Sudan. And and you know we when back when we were Sudan Digital, we were approached by a number of very well known names, many of whom are still very well known names in Sudan, to help them work on their branding now. As a point of principle, I don't work with um, politicians in, in any country, um, but uh, I could understand, and they understood the challenge that they were facing. They understood the challenge that, you know, once the, once the devil had left the room, they needed to be able to be known for something entirely different from the thing that they were being actively against. And so that's one of the challenges of branding for, for politicians. Um, we in Sudan are, are particularly bad at it, unfortunately. Our politicians are particularly bad at, at setting out their agenda in a logical way that most people understand and setting themselves as, as brands. Um, but but nonetheless, they are much better than they were. They are much, much better than they were. I remember when I, when I lived in Sudan, 
one of my biggest pet hates, one of my biggest pet hates was seeing Sudanese politicians. And of course, back then, you know, they weren't really politicians. It was like people who were working with the Gezan. So, but one of my biggest pets hate was, was watching them landing countries with suits that were way too big for them. That were way, way too big. And that was like, that's too basic. For me, that's like too basic in terms of just positioning yourself as a well-thought-out um, leader. So uh, that's a really good question. We can jump back into that at any point. So, um, so if, that's, yeah. if that's the case, and I don't want to hog, obviously, the, the, the interactions, and, and I welcome Miss uh, Jamila, and of course, everybody else, we always meet in, in other spaces, and I am learning so much uh, from them. And if we agreed last week that today's session would be about a strategic planning when it comes to branding and marketing, what would be the 101 of strategic planning when it comes to marketing and uh, branding? Sorry, I didn't quite understand your question, Radwan. Just try again. So last week we said we were going to talk about strategic planning or strategies when it comes to marketing and branding. And from the get-go, basically from the startups, since the subject is about startups, my question is, from the get-go, where would you find a place to start with strategy planning when it comes to your branding and, of course, to your marketing? Yeah, I got you. So that... They come, the branding kind of comes from the strategy. Marketing kind of comes from the strategy. So it, it kind of goes in a sweet sequence, right? So if you're starting a new company and you um, have a specific strategic vision, okay? So it's easier if we use a real example. So um, let's try and think of it. Well, let's use Pitch. Pitch is a brand new client of ours. Um, and, uh, and so they're just entering into the market. So essentially, Pitch solves the problem of events. If you want to go to an event, let's say you want to go to a web summit in, in Ireland or wherever it is this year, and uh, it's just too expensive or you can't get a visa, what you can essentially do is hire a pitch. Some, that a pitch is somebody who lives in, in the location, who already has a ticket to go to the event. They will go and represent your company. They'll generate leads. They'll collect information. They'll do competitive analysis, whatever it is that you need them to do. So the strategy starts from what's the mission statement, right? So the mission statement is being multiple places at the same time um, for, for, for businesses. And from there comes the product and from there comes your marketing channel. So it becomes really obvious who it is that you're targeting, right? And then your brand experience, typically your brand experience will form from that. So from your strategy and from your marketing plan, your brand experience will form from that. Now, the thing with, startups and this is what's really important is that your brand experience really doesn't matter at the start it just doesn't like your brand is only important when people recognize your brand that's literally the only time it becomes important so you can work on it and it's very valuable to spend time thinking about it and to have a brand experience but if this space was downloaded via spacesdown.com visit to download your spaces today actually what you really want to do is you want your business and your customers to define your brand for you. And what I mean by that is that the experience that they experience working with you as a business should be the definition of the brand. And though, and then from there comes all of the other elements. That's why you see so many startups within the first two years changing, or sometimes everything. They'll change their logo, they'll change their color set, they'll sometimes change their name because they've learned from genuine customer experience and from that learning, that they've been able to better reflect what what the brand actually is. Thank you, Asim. Go ahead, Rajesh. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, Rajesh, do you have anything? No, no, I was, I was just saying thank you. Thank you so much for your question. Um, thank you, Aziz. Um, and uh, you were talking about... Uh, I'm sorry, I'm going to go back one step. Uh, you were talking about politicians and um, uh, how they were, um, like the, the branding that comes with that, especially you said in Sudan, uh, uh, the, the politicians who brand themselves as activists, and you think that's the worst position. I just want to know, um, if, if let's say a startup is starting new, is 
the branding that is set by your customers, is that a deliberate thing that you do or is it accidental? And um, and uh, how much work can you do to kind of control that? Because it feels like some of it might not be entirely in your hands or uh, you're not you're not thinking through um, what how you want to present your your startup or how what you present affects your brand. So as a startup, I'm just starting new. Can you navigate me through that? Yeah, sure. And I'll use myself as a, as an example. But before I do, there's lots of new people join the room. Welcome to episode whatever it is, thirty something of Coffee with Kush. Uh, today we're talking about um, startup marketing and branding and um, Feel free to ask any questions. Just uh, raise your hand. We'll bring you up as a speaker. Uh, make this as interactive as possible. And if you've got any questions or comments, then please feel free to join. So I'm going to come back to, to a personal example rather than to a, a company example. So when I um, took over at, at um, Blackbird PLC, so Blackbird PLC is a publicly listed company in the UK. It deals with AI cloud technology. And I was the CEO of that company b- before I moved to Sudan, right? So um, I was like 33 when I took over as the CEO. Now, being a PLC CEO is a really a publicly listed company. is essentially a company that trades on the stock exchange, and uh, people can buy shares in that company. And it, it's essentially the pinnacle of business. It's like really, really difficult to become a CEO. And the average age of PLC CEOs is like 49 years old. Um, and many are much older. Very, very few are very young. And I was too young, essentially 33, like way too young for the market to accept me. So I remember um, when I was accepting the job, we had our PR firm and we spent a good three days purely talking about my my personal brand positioning, Aziz Musa's brand positioning. Because what, comp- what investors really want from the CEO of a PLC is stability, structure, experience, focus, that's it. That's what, what they want. They don't want dynamic. They don't want dynamic. They want to know that the money that they have invested is in safe hands. Um, obviously, that was a challenge for me because I was young, and there's no way of getting away from the fact that I was too I was young for for uh, the market. So my positioning that we worked out was based all around um, speed and the future, right? So we deliberately created a brand position for myself. So whenever I was doing a TV interview or I was doing um, a podcast or whatever promo I was doing or when I was speaking to investors, I was always reflecting back on my time with, you know, big companies like lastminute.com or Moonpig or Photobox or whatever it is, and the hyper growth that they experienced. Um, and that, you know, the, the company at that time requires someone who has the experience of hyper growth. And so that positioning was really deliberate to the extent that we sat down and we deliberately created a positioning. And we deliberately chose the language that I would reiterate over the fact. And if you ever find on YouTube or wherever on any of my old interviews, you'll see that I, I repeat certain phrases over and over. And um, that was, again, that was deliberate. That was about positioning me and the view of Aziz Musa to investors as someone who was going to deliver hyper growth. And that it was very difficult to achieve hyper growth with someone who was in their 60s. You needed someone who was young and dynamic to do that. And it was a it was a very deliberate process that we went through. You are you just you just tapped into branding and marketing at the same time, um. So you had a very clear image uh, that you wanted to, to deliver, uh, and you wanted people to perceive you in that image. And I, and I assume that that's the brand aspect of it. But then you took on some actions, uh, some specific strategies to position yourself as that image that you aiming to be um and that that is where marketing comes so so tell me about uh so this is where the strategy here comes this is what Ridwan has been asking about um so the clarity of the intention of the brand and then the strategies that come with it what kind of um what kind of strategies that we use in marketing to, to evolve based on the brand the brand position that we seek and what are the different kpis for being successful at marketing and being successful as a uh, achieving the branding aspect of, of the goal or that we just discussed. And also, Ms. Wahaj, if you allow me, Aziz, I'd like to piggyback on her um, request or question. 
for example, we have, let's say, Miss Jamila with us or some other entity that they have either their own IT staffing or maybe uh, IT solution uh, providers. How can they use branding slash marketing as a strategy to gain more clients, customers, or in Ms. Jamila's case, more patients? Yeah, great question. Hello, Jamila. It's great to have you uh, in the group. Please feel free to jump out uh, as well. And then as well, great to see you back. So this is a chicken and egg question. Okay, so again, I'm going to come back to the couple of examples that I've used. I could not have positioned myself as the growth leader if I didn't have a background in growth. I couldn't have positioned myself as something that I wasn't. I needed to actually have that. I needed to actually be that person, which is what I was. That's what I was known for in the market was, was high growth. So all I was really doing was selecting a position that already exists. And I was creating a brand that already exists. And this is the challenge for brand branding in startups. Essentially, if you're a startup, you don't yet have a position. Until you have customers, until you have um, clients, and you're actually delivering work and you're generating revenue, it's very difficult to know why do those clients really want to work with you, okay? So when we started um, back in the day with Sudan Digital, we were really clear on what our brand position was, right? So our brand position was actually based around Sudan and quality of delivery for an ideological reason, not for a business reason, yeah? And it became much harder to reposition ourselves as Kush Digital because Kush Digital isn't necessarily about that. It's actually about high quality at, at, a, at a lower price. Um, but we were able to do that because we already had the proof. The proof was already in the pudding. So we were able to um, sort of reposition, if you like, against the new brand Kush Digital with the values that we had already created. And so it's a chicken and egg question. This is why one of my frustrations um, with some startups is that they spend an awful lot of time coming up with their brand name and their brand identity and their logo. And sometimes they spend thousands of dollars doing this without actually knowing what it is that they're actually positioned as, because it's impossible to know. It's impossible, you know, let's take Apple as an example. Apple, the first product that the, the, the Apple one that was released was a personal computer, but it wasn't a personal computer. It was actually just a motherboard, right? So it was fundamentally different to the ethos of what Apple became, yeah? And if you actually look at their first logo, their first logo was um, a depiction of um, Adam and Eve and Apple on a tree, totally different to, to the Apple experience now. And now it's like a closed-loop environment, and it's very clear what Apple represents. But at the start of Apple, it was really difficult. So even when they chose the name, you know, Apple was chosen as something that was friendly and innocuous. Um, and that's really all that they had in their mind. It was choosing some of those friendly and innocuous because that gives you breadth. It gives you space. You know, when you when you start like that, then then you've got the space to to um, to to sort of create something in a much broader field. If I give you an, an opposite example, an op opposite example would be one of our clients, which is Spartans Boxing Club. So um, when when we were originally naming Spartan Boxing Club, and I was I was there at the start when we were naming it, um, I loved the idea of Spartans. But my challenge was that it's a really specific type of experience that you're claiming just with the word Spartan. Like if I was to say, and since you're still up here, uh, Ron, I'll just give you um, the mic for a second. If I was to say the word Spartan, what are the things that come to mind? Or if Radwan isn't there, maybe what if I was to just say the word Spartan, what are the things that come to mind? I just remember the movie, the character, and the actual Spartans from the ancient Spartans and warriors and you know strength and big muscles. Exactly right. So like that's what it means, yeah. A Spartan by definition is a warlord, someone of extreme strength, power, agility someone who is aggressive, they, they live for war. They live, it's a very aggressive, very masculine brand name. And yet, Spartans Boxing Club, 
the brand itself has evolved way beyond that. And now it's synonymous around the world as the place where families can go and learn to keep fit and box together. It's a very family-friendly brand experience, but not a very family-friendly brand name. And that is the challenge of naming and creating a brand experience too early in your um, startup lifecycle. I think that's one of the challenge that, challenges that people seem to neglect. They seem to think that their company is their brand, and that's not the case. Your company is your company, and your brand reflects your company, not the other way around. Thank you so much. Um, it's it's very hard to navigate this if I, like you said, if I'm having a new business. Um, I want to welcome everyone who just joined. Thank you so much for joining. Uh, this is Push with Digital, and we are discussing startup marketing versus branding. If you have any question uh, now or at any point, just raise your hand and you will be up as a speaker. Or if you have comments or if you have anything that you want to share from your experience, um, it would be great. Um, and let's move on to the branding part. Um, uh, is being a famous brand uh, a recognition or a KPI that I've succeeded or or is it only the customer experience that defines the success of the brand? The customer experience defines the success of the company and the brand reflects the success of the company. But there are brand metrics that we adhere to. So the two most important brands prompted and unprompted awareness. So if I was to say to you, um, name a car company, you would say... B BMW. Cool. So you'd say BMW. So that, you know, you'd give me a list of car companies that you're aware of, and that is unprompted brand awareness. That On that list might be BMW, Mercedes, Tesla, da 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 so that is unprompted awareness. And we can do a calculation of unprompted awareness that will allow us to see how um, how much brand attraction that brand has. And then we have a second metric called prompted brand awareness, where I give you a list of brands in a specific vertical, and then I say, which of these brands do you know? And that becomes prompted brand awareness. And of course, unprompted brand awareness is the um, higher value of the two types of awareness. Essentially, what branding is, well, more generally what marketing is trying to do, is it's trying to um, own the space in the mind related to your specific positioning, all right? So car manufacturers is a really broad positioning, but what if I was to choose a really, really specific positioning? Let's say I chose the positioning of um, a car brand that is good for the environment. Which brand owns that space? Tesla, immediately. Of course, Tesla. Yeah, so Tesla owns that space because that's a very specific brand positioning. Now, actually, the product Tesla, uh, the Tesla product, owns significantly more spaces than that, right? Because essentially, they've, they've redefined what um, what uh, non-combustion engine cars can do. But but that positioning is essentially owning the mind space. Yeah. And that's really what branding is trying to achieve. What you're trying to do is you're trying to own the space in the mind so that you become the number one in a specific uh, position, in a specific market position. The more specific, the easier it is. The more general, the more difficult it is. So um, if you were to say computer companies, then you may say IBM, Microsoft, Apple. But if you were to say computer companies that are specifically designed for uh, creatives, based on the marketing in the 90s and the early noughties, you're more likely to say Apple. So these are like, these are the nuances of, 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 of branding that exist. And that's why, again, it, it becomes so difficult for a startup to really focus on, on branding until they've started to own a specific position. Because your position changes, right? As you're evolving your business, you find a customer set that's more interested than the ones that you, you did in your uh, initial business plan. So you pivot your product or you pivot your service into that customer set. Now, if you're set to your brand name and your brand position, then you've got a mismatch between where your customers actually are, where your business actually is, and what your brand is trying to represent. And that's why it's so challenging to manage or to try and create a brand experience so early. And it's also why I, I encourage startups not to focus on branding in the first year or 18 months, to focus... I just put something there, um, but to focus 
exclusively on building the business and then allow the business to define the brand after that. But then as a, as a startup, how do I, so if I'm building my business, I need to target specific audiences. I need to, to like use my budget, um, effectively to be able to reach the people that need the product. And at the beginning, like you might be stumbling. And so what kind of, what kind of things or questions that I should put in mind starting since I don't want to focus too much on branding and then I want to go into marketing and, and building the, the, the business. Um, in that, what it seems like a very fragile uh, um, period for my business, the first two years. So should I be thinking of how do I identify my audiences so I can focus on that when it comes to marketing? How do I, um, you know, understand the, the selling points that I have so that I can also um, market it correctly to my clients without leaning too much on the branding and trying to figure out, you know, who I am as a product or as a brand? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, just whilst I answer that, can you try and um, add Abu Muhammad as a speaker? I've, um, I keep getting an error. Um, so therein lies the biggest challenge, right? So whenever we set out a business plan, we have in our mind, like, okay, this is our target market. This is our target segment. This is how we're going to attack those people. And like Mike Tyson said, everyone's got a plan until they're punched in the face. And that's like the reality of business. You then go to execute that plan and you really struggle to, in a lot of cases, you struggle to attract that. And there can be a number of variables, a number of reasons why you struggle to um, attract that that target market. What you don't do is you don't give up. You tend to pivot. You'll get one customer in an entirely different space and you'll go, hold on, maybe there is like, maybe there's a target audience here that I haven't considered. And so then you'll start to re-pivot your business or your service out into that target audience. And that's why whenever we're working with startups as Kush Digital, we always encourage a much wider reach um, of prospective customers than what the startup typically has in mind, right? So, um, you know, a, a client will come to us and say, okay, so we want to target, you know, doctors based in the UK for this telemedicine service. And it's like, yeah, okay, cool. Why specifically the UK? Why only doctors, right? Not, not nurses. What about psychiatrists? Uh, we'll, we'll start to ask questions that will expand their target audience because ultimately, you may have in your mind, oh, this is my perfect customer, but that customer may not have in their mind, you're, my, you're the perfect service provider. So um, oftentimes what we'll try and do is we'll try and get um, people to, the customers to expand their targeting initially, normally for around six months, to see really where the, the, the value is, to see where, where customers find value in their business. Yes, thank you so much, Nazit. Um, Mohana, would you like to add something or um, tell us uh, a bit from your own experience uh, with with everything that we have been discussing so far? Hi, hi, Aziz, Wahaj, and everyone on board. Uh, it's good to be here again. Well, I really agree with the idea of building the product is much important than uh, making the branding. So we focus at the beginning, startup, on building the product, qualify the product to be on the best shape. And that automatically could start the branding because it will be well known, the product will be well known, and people will see the benefits of it, wherever is it. And it will give me the first step to go for branding. However, I believe it's very important to link that to, to the audience, to, to, to our future customers. What we are, which type of person or, or customers we are dealing with. So it's very good example when you had automatically picked Tesla after this question, because, and, and that's the level you want to, to, to reach. So I believe it's very important to find what's the benefits we can make out of our products to the customer and direct the product, uh, the, sorry, the branding to, to those people. So we built in their, if I can say, unconsciousness, uh, um, our name or our, our product name. So I think this is the, the idea if uh, Aziz and Wash can give more lights on linking the uh, customers or potential customers to to the branding.
Thank you. Absolutely. Really, really good points. I think that that's one of the elements that that we didn't really discuss is that the, the sort of dichotomy between the name and the brand experience, right? So it's why, like, as much as I continually come back to Apple, like, Apple doesn't mean anything. Unless you're actually selling apples, Apple doesn't really mean anything. It's just a word, right? But by choosing Apple as a company name, essentially what they did is they allowed themselves the flexibility to be almost anything versus IBM. Um, what is it? International business machines. You know, it's like that is, there is no doubting what that company does. And I think that that's where like in a startup sense, that flexibility really exists. Like choosing brands and names that are sort of more less specific allows you to be specific later on the branding based on what exactly, like Miranda said, your customer, your target audience um, helps define your brand as. That is excellent. And thank you, Miranda, for your input. And um, uh, because uh, as you were talking, I was, I was thinking of many brands like Adidas or um, um, Ikea and how each one of them kind of resonates in a very specific way to, to me. Like, it, like you said, uh, an image comes into my mind related to every brand. Um, so that being said, uh, there is a recently, uh, you've probably heard about the noise of the movie Barbie and how Barbie as a brand, is a very old brand. Uh, and then, but the, as a brand, it's, it's very known, it's, it's, it's old, it's famous uh, all around the world. And uh, yet again, the, the marketing efforts that were put into the movie were huge um uh this is where this is the case that i wanted to, to discuss with you if uh, th there are so many other questions but just let's discuss this and if we have enough time then we'll dive into the rest of the questions um in that in that can you have you seen the 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 kind of marketing that have been done by barbie and why do you think that they've spent that much on like uh that movie marketing uh especially that it's a known brand and so many people were already looking forward to it because it's just barbie because of the brand so this comes to the other end of branding right so when you become so big like barbie as a brand when you get to that size you've got a totally different challenge and that that new challenge is how to protect your brand so protecting your brand is more of a defensive strategy than an offensive strategy and it's really difficult now i can't imagine how many years the Barbie movie has been in in pre-production, um, trying to make sure that everything that happened within that movie, every scene, every shot, every music choice was aligned with the Barbie brand. Because when you start to play with such an iconic brand, it's a real challenge to um, create something creative like a movie. Um, so what you essentially see in the Barbie movie is just in everything associated almost forgetting the movie itself, with everything associated with the movie, is one massive marketing campaign uh, that, by the way, has been extraordinarily successful. And, of course, there's been a lot of backlash against the Barbie movie, but essentially that backlash is limited to countries where Barbie um, penetration is pretty low anyway, um, for often religious reasons or for cultural reasons within those countries. And they're, they're of course, well within the rights to have that. But the Barbie movie is just, like, one massive marketing campaign one massive very successful marketing campaign and a lot of times brands get it really wrong as well um so i think that that's like like uh, there's an example of bird's eye um bird's eye is a frozen food company uh in the uk it's the number it was at, at least the number one frozen food company in the uk and in 2014 um their number one selling product was uh, a frozen beef lasagna so essentially it's a beef lasagna you go to any supermarket you pick up this beef lasagna put it in the microwave for a few minutes then you've got this number one selling product which is the frozen beef lasagna and everyone associated bird's eye with good quality food at a reasonable price um and then some scientists decided to start testing uh the bird's eye beef lasagna and they found that it was not beef it was in fact horse meat and there was a huge uproar uh, in the UK 
because um, they found that actually almost all of their products did not contain beef. They contained horse meat. And the, the, the reason that they had horse meat in them was because of a supplier and their supply chain was based in Romania that was essentially using horses as opposed to cows to produce the beef for bird's eyes beef lasagna. And, you know, their market share plummeted and there was a huge uproar across all of the UK. And um, I worked for a PR firm at the time. And and the, the one thing that jumped into my mind, maybe just because I'm a bit weird, but the thing that jumped into my mind is that, well, they've been doing this for years. And Bird's Eye is the number one beef lasagna in the country. Does that not mean that people in the UK like horse meat? I don't know why, like, you know, the only thing that kept, like, going over and over in my head is that surely that just proves that people love horse meat as opposed to, as opposed to beef. But nonetheless, it was devastating for them uh, as a company. And these are the challenges that you face when you become really big as a brand. You need to become significantly more defensive. It makes you much less able to take calculated risks, much, much more restricted. Um, and yeah, as a startup, you don't have those restrictions. You can fail and nobody knows and nobody cares. So you can really go and attack big brands and really no one will care because you don't really exist yet. So I think a lot of startups, when they're starting, that they have the mindset of being a big company, but that restricts them from taking the risk that would allow them to find new acquisition channels or, or new marketing campaigns. Some companies get really big and then stay really small in their behaviors. And a really good example of that is Ryanair. So if you if you go to any of the Ryanair channels, Twitter, TikTok's really funny. But like if you go to Ryanair, Ryanair, by the way, is like the, the original low-cost airline. You know, they, they were doing they, they do flights across Europe for like 10, 15 uh, euros. Um uh, but everything is an add-on. So if you want an extra bag, it's an add-on. If you want to check in and choose a seat, it's an add-on, things like that. Um, and instead of shying away from that and trying to be like British Airways or United, where, you know, they're as firm and stable and, and uber professional, they go the entire opposite direction. And they just, they mock themselves and mock their customers. And it's hilarious, but they can get away with it because actually that's part of their own um, brand experience from the start, being the disruptor in the space. And shout out to Agache that the horse meat story kind of, you know, immediately brought Agache in my mind. So that's that's a really good <laughs> branding for Agache. <laughs> uh, we have about three minutes left. Um, we, Adiv, I just want you to know that I haven't even asked like 80% of the question regarding marketing versus branding. And so this means that there's still more to talk about, especially uh, when it comes to marketing. We have discussed some aspects of branding. Um, so thank you, everyone who joined us. Uh, this is uh, uh, Coffee with Kush, specifically startup marketing versus branding. We have a podcast at the same time every week, 8 p.m. Uh, one time. And if you have a specific topic or title that you would like to uh, hear us talk about and you have uh, questions that you want us to address, please message me or Aziz. Um, you can listen to our previous podcast on our website, anywhere that you can listen to podcasts. Um, we have uh, the blogs that are c coming out after each uh, podcast. If you don't want to like listen to the whole thing, you can read the blog. Um, and uh, yeah, it's been a great pleasure. I've enjoyed this. There is so much more to come and discuss next time. And um, and yeah, I'm going to leave the floor to Ridwan and Aziz to take it by the last uh, Thank you, Wahaj. Aziz and Wahaj, thank you so much for all the nuggets that we got from you today. Of course, all the amazing listeners as well. I, as a student of marketing and of course, branding, can we next time talk about shapes, colors, and from a cultural point of view from, well, I guess, influence from a cultural uh, point of view. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. I think that we can extend this session out to talk about the branding across different um, verticals and uh, different cultures and different countries, different languages. Um, and I have some, some interesting stories, including one of the companies that I worked for that um, uh, 
that when they moved into uh, another country, so we expanded into another country, the brand name meant prostitute. So um, lots of stories around that. We can talk about that. Um, we can talk about that uh, in next week's session. Thank you, Rodwan and uh, Mohamed. Um, stick it in your calendars for uh, the same time next week. And we look forward to chatting again then. Thanks, everyone, for, for joining and talk to you next week. This space was downloaded via spacesdown.com. Visit to download your spaces today.